Luke chapter 15, to many of us, is probably a common place that we can read about the prodigal son. Many of us can remember the story, and specifically for some of us because we probably were the prodigal. Uh, some of us in this room have drifted away from what we knew what was right and good and healthy for our lives. And then God dealt with us in a serious way, and we came back to the Lord and began to walk with him again. And so a lot of times when we're talking about the prodigal son, we kind of overmiss, uh, I think, or kind of overshoot, if you would, the real cause of the passage. If we look at the first few verses of Luke chapter 15, we see... Uh, the audience and the atmosphere of what the Lord was dealing with. If you look at the first verse here very clearly of, of Luke chapter 15, the Bible says, And then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And so you can tell right away that Jesus was not judgmental um, because he was approachable. Um, if he was judgmental and not approachable, they wouldn't have drawn... they wouldn't have drawn near to him. And so I think it really is a testimony of our Lord Jesus and his spirit and his disposition, if you would, was one of love and care and concern. And, you know, to be honest with you, the people were looking for something. Their hearts were empty. Religion can't help them. Religion can give you a bunch of rules, but it can't fulfill you. You can go ahead and just make sure you do your checklist and maybe get your conscience on track a little bit. But you can't be cleansed through religion. You can be cleansed through Jesus Christ. You can be washed and clean through the Lord Jesus Christ. And what, what is needed is a relationship with him. And so these publicans and sinners then drew near to hear him. But then there was also, and the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, Did you know, if you find yourself constantly complaining about God's people, that you could probably put yourself in this category of the Pharisee. There seems to be a, a trait of the Pharisee where he will constantly murmur and constantly be against everything else. And so if you find yourself there this morning, I, I would ask you to do one thing, and that's just to be honest with God and be real about your own heart and, and give it to God today. We talked about that in the men's class today. What do we do when we sense the moving of God? The first thing we need to do is make sure that we give ourselves totally to him, full surrender. Uh, maybe you've not done that. Uh, what are you waiting for? Full surrender is fun. You just say, here, Lord, here's everything I have. I surrender all. And there's even hymns written about surrendering all. And then the next step, then, not only to fully surrender to him, but the next step is going to be to depend upon him completely. Uh, As I got out of my truck this morning after a lot of prayer, and, and on the way here, I got about 13 to 14 minutes to pray, and many of you crossed my mind, and I prayed for you this morning. But then when I got out of my truck, I said, Lord, I'm not depending upon my personality or my intellect. It's not there. Uh, I'm not depending upon my schooling. I'm depending upon your spirit. And I think really when it comes to the place of really doing something for God, you've got to come to the place of full surrender. He'll bring you to that place, by the way. You can't force it. He'll, he'll bring you to the, to the place where you're broken before him and you weep when you're all alone. And at that time, it's time for you to move. He's already moving. And then make that first step of coming to the place of full surrender. And then really depend upon him and say, Lord, I can't do this. I need you. And the third thing is to wait upon the Lord, which is the hardest. Many times we want something now. 
we want to be able to see something happening now. Oh, to wait is the most horrible thing. Uh, sometimes you're in a, a situation where you're not feeling well and you're in the hospital. My poor dad Thursday uh, was going through a heart attack and then... Uh, of course, getting him to the hospital and getting him some relief. It took some time. And you could see the anguish in his face where the pain was there. Uh, it wouldn't go away, that kind of thing. But just waiting on the nurses, waiting on the doctor, waiting is, is very difficult. And sometimes when God is working in our hearts to help heal us, uh, it's hard to wait upon the Lord. And so I hope that helps you a little bit, but it's important for us to know that when God is working in people's lives and when God is working in your life, um, there is confrontation going on. There is times to adjust and things to adjust. How, how many people don't like confrontation? Raise your hand if you don't like confrontation. I don't like it either, but you know what? It's even worse when it's me confronting with me. Your hardest confrontation is with your own self. And until you come to the place of confronting self, you're going to struggle with your walk with God. And I want to help you this morning. I think if you listen to me, my time is short. I have exactly um, 19 minutes left. But I think it's important for us to be able to gain what is spiritually being said here more than just a story about a father and a son um, there's more being said here, and he's talking to not only the publicans and sinners that have gathered, but also those that were critical looking on, and the Pharisees and so on. Verse number two, and the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, you know, And I just want to make it clear, too, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So the Lord Jesus Christ was a master on this. He would give us real practical teachings, earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. And he's drawing that here, and he gives three stories. And each story really deals with not only losing something, but then gaining it back. And how that there is rejoicing that happens. Listen to the first story. He says, and he spake out of the parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. What a beautiful story, but he doesn't end there. He says, I say unto you, likewise, or in like manner, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. And God is giving a description of what it is like in heaven when one person repents and turns away from their sin and turns to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what happens there is a rejoicing not only on this particular earth, but also in the heaven. But he says in verse number 8, Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. You can imagine what it was like when they didn't have LED flashlights. Uh, you can imagine what it was like to have to light a candle, and if there was any kind of wind at all in the home, it probably went out. 
and kind of frustrating trying to find the coin, but she is actually looking and she's trying to find this piece of silver. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the piece which had which was lost. And likewise, I say into heaven, or in like manner, this is, this, there, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. And so, you know, he's kind of probably turning toward the Pharisees. He's probably getting a little bit louder and saying, my purpose for being here is not necessarily for you that are churchgoers that are consistent. Me being here is for the down and out sinner who needs repentance. Jesus is conveying that to them. I hope you understand this morning that the church is not for just good people. The church is for people that need somebody that's decent and loving to put their arm around them and help love them back to life because they've been dead or they've been among the lost and found or they've been doing things that they shouldn't do and now they want to do what is right and the church is placed there in that community. It is the pillar and the foundation of truth that God can use to be able to help that community and draw people back to himself. Where are they going to go? Where are they going to go if we close our churches? You say, well, just go to the Lord. Yeah? The Lord Jesus seemed to be speaking to the crowd and saying, I am here for you. Why don't you come to me so I can help you and give you direction? As I'm thinking about the last particular story here, we're talking about the Father, and if we were to take a pen this morning and circle the word Father throughout this whole story, it's an incredible story, and we just read the verses, and I won't read those verses anymore because we just read them, but if you were to circle the word Father, it's all through here. And so we're looking at not only the Son, but also the Father, and we know the story because he had two boys, we had two boys that he wanted to be able to help and, and so on, and these two sons were looking to the father for direction, for help, and so on. Maybe you're here and you have two sons today. They're different, aren't they? You have a different kind of a child in every one of them. I have four sons. I have two redheads and two brown-haired. Well, they used to have hair. <laughs> <laughs> But it's interesting as we think about it because they're all different. And the father is the focus of the day. And in, in the prodigal story, if we're looking at the father in this story, we're looking at who he is like and what is he like. We know the story. The one son says, you know, I, I'd like for you to, to give me your living, you know, or give me my living, you know, give me what, what you have there. And the, the father gently does it. He gives to the one son his living. Uh, what he owes to him or what he feels like is obligated to him. And we know that he begins to go out and he begins to waste. We know that. Um, a lot of times foolish people are great wasters. And, uh, and he was. He was the life of the party for a while. He probably got a, a really sharp car, you know, maybe a Z28 or something or, you know, or a Corvette or whatever. Maybe he... He uh, was the, the person that let people drive it. I, I don't know. Uh, I'm not really into cars, but some of you are. Uh, now you talk about trucks, and I like trucks. But uh, this particular boy began to use his money in the wrong way. He began, wa- he began wandering. You know, into a far country, wandering and wasting leads to wanting. 
because none of that helps us. When we think about the prodigal son and him going away from into a strange land among strange people and begins to waste his money and he has nothing, there's no savings, he's gone, he's at rock bottom, then there's a famine in the land and he begins to attach himself to one of the citizens and they said, well, you can clean up my, after my pigs and he's out there doing all of that and he's sitting down eating what they eat and he's thinking, wait a minute now, my father is back home taking care of his servants if I could just get back there, it'd be a wonderful thing because I'm now in a place where I don't want to be. We know the story and how the son began to come to himself. And when we're talking about those moments when God works within us and the tears come and we have a brokenness with us, that is a brokenness. And many times that's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance, that leads to salvation. Sometimes there is a sorrow that comes over the heart of people, and it's just a, a sorrow of the world system. That sorrow will bring forth death. Don't have anything to do with it. When you get sorrowful and weepy, turn to Christ, please. Open up his word and read what he has to say. Because your only help at that particular point in life is going to be the word of God. And the God of heaven allowed his spirit to draw you to his word, and he'll help you. I want to give you some observations out of the passage concerning the Father. And I want you to understand that in these particular observations, if you would, they're, they're, you can have them too. You probably could come up with several of them. I want to come up with about four of them. And I, I think it's important for us to draw out from the text what kind of a dad this was. I titled it The Father Without a Name, and I think it's important for us to understand that you don't have to have a name. You don't have to have yourself be a big shot, Dr. So-and-so or Professor So-and-so. Just be a dad. And if nobody knows who you are, that's okay. The Lord Jesus began to use these stories, and of course they were parables, so no names are involved. And you can talk, read the commentators, and you can talk to some of the professors in the universities, the Bible college, and, and you'll find out that some of them feel that this was a real person that a man did have two sons. Some feel it's just a parable. But either way, I think what the Lord Jesus Christ is giving us is a picture of a really cool father, a godly father. Maybe you've had a godly father. Praise the Lord for that. Maybe you didn't. But now you have a chance and an opportunity to be a godly father. Maybe you had that chance. I was talking to my dad a little bit, and I was talking to him up at the room. I've asked the nurses to be able to get it so he could watch this morning, and so he probably is. My dad is going to be 84. My dad is up there in years. He's had um, emphysema for years. He can't breathe very well. Um, three years ago, uh, the doctors gave him morphine and sent him home. Um, they actually gave him enough morphine to just go home and die three years ago. Um, that's why he was a little hesitant on going to the hospital with me. Um, I'm so thankful for the doctor. When he got into the room, the doctor looked him right in the eye and said, that may have been the case before because my dad told the whole story. And she said to him, Richard, that's not the case today. We're going to take care of you. And they did. And praise God for the state of art technology that they have. 
placed him into a room on a table, and 12 people had something to do. Each person was able to help my dad so that they could put a stent in him so he could enjoy life for a little longer. My dad told me it wasn't very easy in the beginning years because of his father being an alcoholic. Never seen him. In fact, he was staying with his grandma. But on weekends, he'd do the best he could to get to Fenimore, which is just a few miles away, maybe 10 miles away from Mount Ida. That's where he was on a farm. And he went to the city on the weekends so that he could take a bath. Sometimes he'd be so dirty that he could reach out behind his ear and there'd be mud and different things behind his ear. He'd say, well, that's kind of gross. Yeah, Americans are kind of obsessed with being clean these days. I don't know, maybe you wash your hands 20 times today with some solution. I don't know. But we're trying to think that maybe cleanliness will help us when I think sometimes that it kind of hurts us a little bit. But that's a whole other sermon. My dad was telling me that he would then wander the streets for a few days, early teens, just walk up and down the road until some people would come home so he could have another meal. He didn't have it to where they sat down and they had food together and dad was there and mom was there and so on. Like we're supposed to have time with the family and if you can do that, by all means, dads, do it today. Have supper with the family. Make sure you sit down. It's interesting as, as we look at these, this particular individual and this father being involved with his son, he taught him some things. And I think the first thing he taught him was, what was the difference between what is right and wrong? I think that's really basic, isn't it? That a father would teach his child what's right and what's wrong. I find it interesting in verse number 18, it says, And I will arise, of course, he's in the pig pen, and I'll rise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And so we draw from this understanding, observation, that he knew that there was sin because he sinned against his father. It's interesting as we think about that, but he also, I have sinned against heaven he says in the text. And so he must have known that there was a heaven and there was a hell. He must have known that there was a God. He must have known what sin is. I think it's important for us as dads to be able to tell our sons that there is a thing called sin. Many people today don't want to know what sin is, or at least they pretend they don't know. Humanism and all the things that are being spread around in our society today and in our culture, culture, really has come to the place where they've changed the definition of what is sin. Where the Bible names certain sins may not be sins to certain individuals, or he or she doesn't accept the Bible truths, and so they'll say, well, what's sin to you is not sin to me. That's the way that they think today in, their, in their, our culture. But we have to go back to the Bible and remember that if we do go back to the Bible, that we know that whenever somebody would be against anything that is righteous, that they are sinners. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You don't have to go very far with asking somebody questions. You'll soon find that they're a sinner, and hopefully that they'll admit that they are one. And we understand for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so for the father to be able to teach his son that there is a thing called sin, and when we do sin, we violate 
God and we violate other people. Because we're supposed to love the Lord thy God with all our heart, with all our mind, and all of our soul, and love our neighbor as ourself. And so if we truly do love our neighbor as ourself, we will try the best we can to keep God's commands, to not sin against him. But nobody is really without excuse in this area. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1, verse number 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. For the visible, the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. The Bible actually shows it. That they know they're, you know what the problem is? That they want to shut God out of society is because they don't want to be submissive to anybody. You know, you can't put any Christmas stuff in a public school. No, because they don't want to be reminded that there's a God. And if they're reminded that there's a God, then there's accountability. They don't want to be accountable to anybody. Listen to me, Mr. Professor. You are accountable to God and you will stand before him someday. And Father, you will too, Dad. And so we must lead our kids in the right way. We must give them the education that they deserve, by the way. And God is part of that education. It is the baseline of all things. And lest we get back to the basics of the foundation of their education, then they're only playing with themselves. They're only in philosophies. And by the way, the Bible says that we ought to be careful, beware of philosophy, not vain philosophy, philosophy and vain deceit. And so you're talking about any kind of thoughts without God is philosophy. So beware of philosophy. Let God be God and bring him back into have epigenoske, which is full knowledge. And full knowledge is only done if you know Jesus Christ and put Jesus Christ into your knowledge. And so... Man does not determine what is sin and what isn't. God does. The Bible says that all unrighteousness is sin. So whatever is not righteous is sin. And that's God's terminology. That's not Dean Howell's thinking. That's what God said. It's important that we understand that the father then needs to be the spiritual leader of the home. The success of your home will be determined primarily by the father's relationship with God. Dads, listen to me. If your home's messed up, it's not anybody else's fault but yourself. You've got to get off the computer. You've got to stop playing games because you're playing games with your children. You've got to look them in the eye. You've got to play ball with them. You've got to play catch with them. You've got to sit down and talk to them. You've got to ask them what their prayer needs are. You've got to say, what's the praises this week? You've got to talk to your children. Listen to me. When you find a little bitty boy and you get down on your knees and you say, hey, how you doing? And you get down into his world, you capture his mind and his heart. And when you do that, but when they grow up and they, you can actually look eyeball to eyeball and then sometimes they get bigger than you, they still need you to look into their eyes and see what makes them happy and what they're concerned about. If you really care for them, this is what God desires for us to be good dads. This particular father that Jesus was putting into his parable 
was a man who cared for his boys enough to where he taught them what was wrong and what was right. I knew that he violated God. I've sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven. The next thing I really believe the father taught him was it's far better to give than to receive. The Bible says in verse number 12, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And he divided unto them his living. I thought about this as I was heading up to see my dad yesterday. And I was thinking about what do I have to offer my sons? I have very little. I have a home. Uh, I have some rifles. And I'm not going to tell you how many. But if something were to happen to me, uh, in my top drawer of my office, there's a, our will. Everything goes to Josh, my oldest. He's here, and he's supposed to disperse it to the other boys. And my other daughter in loves. It's not very much. But this particular man seemed to have quite a living. And he was able to divide it up and give it to his son. And, and I really believe here that there was no hesitation. The father said, can you give me my living now? It's like not time yet. The dad could have said, wait a minute, you got to wait. Wait a minute, it's not, I can't do that now. But for some reason, he went and divided his living and he said to the boy who stayed home, I'm going to give you yours and I'm going to give you yours. If you want to take off, you go do what you want to do. And he goes. And I thought to myself, what a, what a blessing because that child will always know that it's far better to give than it is to receive because of the way the father responded. And by the way, I really believe the way the father responded determined how long the, the child would stay away. Sometimes when dads respond in a bad way, you know, you think you know it all, son? You know, your son may come to you someday and he may say, you know, dad, I just need some more space. And you want to go up to open your door and you open the door. Look at all that space. Go ahead, you know. That, that may be the situation, but let me tell you something. He may not return home. But if you love him and care for him, even if he's making bad choices, and even though he's making decisions that you wouldn't have made, you don't need to say to him, boy, I'd have never done that, son. I'm perfect. You know what's going to happen? He may go out that door and never return. But if you love him and care for him, even in a situation where he says, I want what I want, what I want. Dads, listen to me. Let him go. Let him go. It should have been a long time ago you should have been preparing him to leave the nest. See, parents want to hoard their kid and keep him forever. That's not the main objective. That's, that's not your kid. That's God's child. And God wants to use him somewhere. Let him go and let God use him somewhere. Don't hoard him. Prepare him to leave the nest. And when he does, even if he goes out on his own time, he will return. I want to tell you, for a while, one of my sons had gone away from home. We prayed for him all the time. We wept. Sometimes my wife would go to bed crying, and I knew what she was crying about. It's not a very easy thing when your child goes away. You know, and the, the prodigal's father was, for some reason, very kind. Now, I don't know about the mom. She's not mentioned here. So I don't know how Mother's Day fits into that particular story. But Father's Day does. 
where he's able to say to him, here's your living. My living, I'm giving it to you because it's far better to give than to receive. And he takes off. And the father probably was hurting at night. I remember getting a phone call at 3 o'clock in the morning. Our son said, can I come home? And I said, you betcha. He came in and I gave him a hug and held him for a little bit and walked him over to the couch and he lay down on the couch and went to sleep until the morning hours. He's married now, has wonderful kids. I'm telling you folks, you dads are so important and you have so much impact on your families. I think it's important for all of us to remember that Father's Day is a special day. But dads, you influence your kids more than you think. And this particular father influenced his child dearly. He gave himself, really, to his family. I think it's important for us to remember that there are a lot of sins that have kept us, really, from having good homes today. Seventy percent of the homes today have children that live in a divorced home. Some of the homes have been hurt by difficulties in the past. The LBGT crowd is trying to destroy the healthy home vision, trying to warp it. And don't you accept it one iota. It is an abomination. It is an abomination to God. Get mad at me if you want to. Shut me off at home. I don't care. I will stand behind this pulpit and tell you the truth. Plain truth like abortion is murder. Yes. Amen. And homosexuality is an abomination before God. Yes. Alcohol has destroyed homes. Yes. Drugs. Oh, it's just a little pot, Dad. Yeah, it's just a little pot. You pothead. Immorality. But this particular home must have been a good home. Because the son knew that he could return. In closing, I, I want to skip about 17 pages of stuff here. And in closing, the last point really is a point talking about how much the father was to influence the child in the area of loving in the home. Dads, don't wait for the mom to bring love into the home. God has commanded you to do it because you're supposed to love your wife as Jesus loved the church. Just simple understandings of the father in the home. A father who will love and who will care for children even if they go astray. I think we need that love today in our homes. Think about how many things that can actually destroy the home. The Bible says in verse number 31, He said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. That message was to the, to the son who stayed home. Let me just make these comments. We've got a baptism this morning, and they're still bringing people up from downstairs in just a moment. But I, I want to tell you, though, that there needs to be an understanding among all of us that the church is, is involved with, with two people. 
It's involved with the prodigal, but it's also involved with the person who stayed home. Okay? So there are people sitting in these pews that have really never departed from God. They, from an early child, was able to grow up and they stayed in church and they obeyed God and some of them have not severely fell into terrible, terrible situations. There's going to be people like that here in the auditorium. And there's going to be people that have done things that you say, I I would never do that. Yeah, by God's grace, you won't. But they have. And they are already living with that guilt. I remember uh, having an uncle that shot his own brother terrible thing. And uh, Royce raised five girls and uh, two of them have passed away in the last year. The youngest child and the third child have passed away. One 54 and one in her early 30s. And Royce passed away also. I'm telling you the story is because my dad grew up seeing all of this and again, my dad being the longest living howl ever, I think goes back to saying that my dad found the biblical principles and tried the best he could with the knowledge he had to live the kind of life he should live, and God has given him grace. And by God's grace, I am responsible enough to say, I'm going to try to raise up my kids so that my kids then will actually surpass me with their obedience toward God. That's the direction we need to go. But when I was thinking about my uncle and how he had taken a life, I was reading some papers recently on what the judge said. They sent him to Wales. They didn't send him to prison. They sent him to Wales, a boy's home. And the judge said, you'll live with the guilt the rest of your life that you took your own brother's life. And he had all the way till his death. And so when somebody does something horrible, we've got to love them anyway. We've got to help them because they don't have any help from this world. This world does not love people the way God wants us to love people or the way we should love people. We love people conditionally, but God wants us to love them unconditionally. And that's what was taught by the Father by saying, come home. You know what's interesting? Uh, The verse that we read, verse number 20, actually uses the verb, he kissed him. But if you were to do a study on the verb, you would see that he constantly kissed him. So he was afar off, and he ran to him, and he put his arms around him, and then he kissed him and said, I'm so glad to see you, son. But he kissed him again. It was a kiss of forgiveness, a kiss of mercy, a kiss of restoration. It was a constant hugging and kissing all the way from the place that he was at all the way till the front porch. There was a love of a father that came to this young boy. I'm telling you that God does the same thing for us. Because we look at this father and say, well, that's the kind of earthly father I want to be. But Jesus is basically pointing us to the father in heaven. And he watches afar off and says, I don't know why they've journeyed so far. But as soon as they turn toward me, I'm going to run to them. And I'm going to embrace them. And I'm going to kiss them and kiss them, and kiss them. Have you ever been kissed by God? I have. And oh, what a wonderful blessing to know that he is there, and he wants to help you, whatever you're going through. It's kind of odd for us to take this subject and 
wrap it up and have us understand that men are actually in place helping and, and, and guiding the next generation. But it's important for us to know that, Dad, you can influence your child, and he is watching you and, and every step you take. I've always said that children do what they see, not what they're told. It seems to me that is common among children. I think the father needs to walk with God. Someone wrote this years ago, walk a little plainer, Daddy. Walk a little plainer, Daddy, said the little boy, so frail. I'm following in your footsteps, and I don't want to fail. Sometimes they are hard to see, so walk a little plainer, Daddy, for you are leading me. I know that once you walked this way many years ago, and what you did along the way, I'd really like to know. Sometimes when I am tempted, I don't know what to do. So walk a little plainer, Daddy, for I must follow you. Someday when I'm grown up, you're like what I want to be. And I have a little boy who will want to follow me. And I would want to lead him right and help him to be true. So walk a little plainer, Daddy. For we must follow you. Unconditional love and forgiveness is what the father taught his son. The other son had a little hard time with that. God reminded him that all that he had, or the father reminded him all that he had was his. But I want to just reassure you this morning that if you're sitting here and you're struggling with what's going on in the inside and, and you're having regrets, and you're having some guilt and some shame, just admit before God that you made a mistake. Because as soon as you admit that you did wrong, God will come for your rescue, and he'll help you. Because God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Maybe there's somebody here today that just needs to come to the Lord today. Say, here I am. Maybe there's a father that says, I haven't been the kind of dad I need to be. I realize now my role is so important and I want to be the better father. Maybe somebody else is here today that has never put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ and today is the day of salvation. Why don't you come? Every head bowed and every eye closed. This morning, we're going to have an invitation. I'm going to pray in just a minute, but dealing with your own heart and looking within, perhaps there is a need this morning that you would admit that there are still issues in your heart that you haven't dealt with. Maybe there's somebody here today that says, Pastor, I am saved. I know I put my faith in Jesus Christ and I am saved, but I'm still dealing with some things within. Would you please pray for me? Is there anyone like that? Just lift up your hand and put it back down again. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. Anyone else? Dad or mom or child? Say, Pastor, would you please pray for me because God's been working on me lately and I believe he wants me to do something. Would you pray for me? Is there anyone else? Say, I'm saved, but God is working in me. Just lift up your hand and put it back down again. Anyone else? Thank you for that honesty. Thank you. I'll pray for you. I Take a mental note. I know who you are. I'll pray for you. Thank you for the hands. But maybe there's somebody here today that says, I still have not put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. 
I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I want one, and I would like to know how I can do that. Is there anyone like that today would say, Pastor, would you please pray for me? I need Jesus in my life. Just raise your hand and put it back down again. I need to trust Jesus. Is there anyone like that? God has spoken to you, dear Christian. And we're going to give you a chance to come. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Would you stand to your feet? No one looking around this morning. Why don't you come? The invitation is going to begin. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would guide in Jesus' name. Amen.